Hey, friends. Well, it's been a whole month since our last episode, and I apologize for the delay, but boy, am I going to make it up to you with today's guest. Mary Kay Hoodhood is the founder of Kids Food Basket. Over 40 years ago, Mary Kay was involved in a tragic accident that left her permanently paralyzed as a quadriplegic. Left without the ability to walk or even feed herself, Mary Kay embarked upon a new path that would result in her efforts feeding over 10,000 elementary school students living in food insecure households every school day. Her work has earned many well-deserved accolades, including the Presidential Citizens Medal. If you're unfamiliar with Kids Food Basket, it's a pioneering nonprofit aimed at ending childhood hunger here in West Michigan. Every day, teams of volunteers pack meals, which they call sack suppers, and deliver them to schools so that at-risk students can pick them up and take them home, and that ensures that they have a healthy, nutritious evening meal every school night. Mary Kay's life has always astounded me. I've known her for nearly 20 years, and I've had the privilege of volunteering at Kids Food Basket, as have many members of my family. But it wasn't until she decided to write a book, What I Can Do, that I truly got to know what enabled Mary Kay to beat the odds and to help beat childhood hunger. After you hear today's episode, I strongly encourage you to go to MaryKayHoodHood.com. That's M-A-R-Y-K. H-O-O-D-H-O-O-D.com and get your hands on her fantastic, funny, and inspirational book. You won't regret it. Enjoy this conversation with Mary Kay Hoodhood. Hey, Mary Kay, how are you? Good to see you, Ryan. It is so good to see you. Uh, I've been looking forward to our conversation for weeks but I know that some of our listeners don't know you yet. Do you mind sharing a little bit about you and what you do? You know, it's funny. Real recently, I was um, invited to the Cook Leadership Academy at Grand Valley to speak to their membership where, you know, the smart kids. And I got up there and I said, okay, well, here I am to talk about my least favorite subject myself. I, <laughs> I personally would love I, I love to talk to people and see what makes them tick. But when it comes to talking about myself, uh, not my favorite subject, but I'll do it for you. Uh, oh, this is going to be so uncomfortable for you then, because that's all we're going to talk about. Yeah, I, I, okay. Um, and, you know, when I, when I look back at my life, I turned 70 last year. And when I look back at my life, I know that there have been some areas or some things that have happened to me that don't have not happened to other people and i know that i've made some choices in my life that are remarkable and so i guess i just have to get over that and talk about it <laughs> so well, you please do some background i just got back from um speaking to about 35 uh seniors at an assisted living center and I told them what I'm going to tell you. I was born in Grand Rapids, raised here, lived on the North End my whole life. I'm the youngest of six children. I have four older brothers who are four, six, and eight, four, six, eight, and ten years older than I am. My sister was the oldest. 
My dad was an attorney and my mother was a housewife. And my parents were very community-oriented people. They, my dad was an elk and did, you know, the church picnics. And they were, you know, Boy Scout and Girl Scout leaders and, and all that. You know, they were very, very supportive of this community. And even to the point that we, my brothers and I, and my sister, we all went to Catholic schools. But my dad was, in the late 50s, the first Catholic member of the Grand Rapids Public School Board. And he ran for that board because he knew how important public education was. And that as a community, we needed to support public education, education so that people have equal access. And so, you know, I really was paying attention when I was growing up. And there was an expectation in my household to uh, achieve, to be a leader, and to give back. That was instilled in me at a very young age. And so I just grew up figuring that that's what we all need to do. And I've tried my best over my lifetime to do that and to mostly lead by example. I don't, I know that I'm task oriented. So you give me a, le- a list of things to do and I get them done. I'm not, when, you know, when I started Kids Food Basket and people always say to me, what's your vision? And I go, eh, I'm not much of a visionary. I'm more practical <laughs> and say, gee, there's hungry kids. We better feed them and make a sandwich and feed them. Because like I've always said, we can talk about childhood hunger until we're blue in the face, or we can make a sandwich and feed a kid. So, you know, the numbers, it's staggering to look at our numbers now. When I started the program, it was a uh, pilot program for a year with no name out of God's Kitchen where I was working. We were feeding 125 kids at the End of the school year was 150. I we took the summer off because I was changing jobs. That's when I met Bridget Clark Whitney, our now director. And we were, you know, just trying to do the best we could feed we could, feeding kids a healthy dinner that they could take home. Well, let's just pause there for one second. How, how did you come to to know that there was an issue related to childhood hunger right. and what led you to begin serving those 125 kids. Right. So I was working at God's Kitchen at the time, shortly after I was injured in an automobile accident in 1980. I um, had, we were in a horrible, horrible car accident up near uh, Silver Lake up by the dunes. And my then boyfriend, mm-hmm. now husband, Jeff, and I and Melissa, who's right here with me, she was five years old and she was on my lap. And we were sort of dozing off and there was no alcohol or drugs involved. And it was Memorial Day weekend and we were driving. There was quite a bit of traffic. And a little boy ran out into the traffic to go to his mailbox, ran right into the car. Jeff swerved to miss him in a Bronco hit us, and we went rolling. Melissa and Jeff were thrown for the, from the car, 
and I was crushed in the car. And due to that accident, I have a four, C4-5 four, spinal cord injury that left me a quadriplegic. So to that end, I was in the hospital for six and a half months, three of it in Grand Rapids, the other in rehab in Denver. And when I got out of the hospital, I had a nun bringing me communion. And I told her if there was ever any volunteer activity I could do on the phone to let me know when the next week she came back. But they had me making phone calls for God's Kitchen for their Meals on Wheels program. So I started doing that, and as time went on, I took on more and more responsibility. And by the time 2000 was there, I'd been there for, you know, 20 years almost. And I was now a paid employee. And to that end, I was supervising volunteers, and we were packing groceries for some of the people that received Meals on Wheels. And a volunteer said to me, after I'm done here, I'm going to straight school because my friend, Marianne Prozeshenko, uh, caught a little girl digging through the trash. He asked her what she was doing. The little girl was five years old. Her name was Melanie. And she was looking for food to take home to her family. So Marianne, of course, was all upset. And for two months, she had been looking for a group to feed kids. And she was looking for more than what the, like, the after-school program did. She was looking for an actual meal with healthy food and enough calories and all the different food groups. So I went over to um, meet with Marianne. She told me what was going on. And I said, I can't make any promises. Went back down to God's Kitchen, asked them, and told them about the program. He asked them if they would support me, and then they said no. It was the November. It was November of the year of the um, the terrorist attack in New York, and it was so there were people mm -hmm. cutting programs. They said there's no money for that. So I came home and tried to sleep, couldn't sleep. Went back the next day and said, "You're talking about money." I said, if I raise the money myself, can I do it? Quite honestly, I don't think they wanted to make me angry. So they let me do it. So I raised $1,000 here, $1,000 there. And then Armin Omedian, who's my sister-in-law's father, gave me another $1,000. And that was then. And we were feeding 125 kids. I think some people are surprised that while there's free and reduced lunches, there's not necessarily any guaranteed source of food security for families at home in the evening. And so it sounds like it didn't take very long for the nurses or the principals to recognize that they had, they had vulnerable children within their midst. Exactly. And you know, I think in the, the protective services stance was that if the kids lived in a warm home and they had two meals a day, which they were already getting at school, that that was sufficient. Well, we know that's not sufficient. Mm. And, you know, kids, especially under 10 years old, need more nutrients than that. Because it's affecting their ability to learn, right? Exactly. They're in grow and thrive. Exactly. So that was 
over 20 years ago. Tell us about Kids Food Basket today. So, as you know, Brian, there have been some growing pains over the years. We'd have those board meetings and we'd be, you know, serving three, four, three thousand, four thousand kids. And we'd talk about, you know, the need and the waiting list. And at those board meetings, I'd have like pains going through my head thinking, how are we ever going to raise the money to do this? How are we ever going to, you know, get rally the community to support this? And, you know, under Bridges' leadership, that certainly has been the case. And we're feeding 10,000 kids a day now. So it's Grand Rapids, Muskegon. And in Holland, we're in the south part of Ottawa County. So we also serve uh, northern um, Allegan County. It's amazing. Awesome. It is amazing. Can we go back for a second? Your accident was 43 years ago. Yep. And you mentioned that you were getting communion from a nun and asked, can I volunteer from home? That, I mean, that strikes me as remarkable. Um, how long did it take? And I guess, how did you go from being victim of something so tragic to shifting your attention to wanting to help others? Uh, it took me about eight years to really feel good. Uh, but I think that what happened was during when I was injured and I had, first of all, I had a tracheotomy so I couldn't talk. So now I'm on a ventilator and I wake up in the hospital in this called a rotorest bed where it's turning back and forth to keep my fluids moving. And I don't know what's going on. And here the doctor comes. And in fact, I ran into him about five years ago. And I said, Dr. Dugan, I'm surprised. Well, I didn't remember him. He explained who he was. I said, I, I can't believe I'm still alive. And he said, well, you were always very strong. And those nurses loved you. I said, they did? Hmm. Okay. So, and you know, I have a lot of support. I'm from a big family. My brothers and my mom were always there. And I always knew Jeff would never leave me. And he hmm. has been the greatest source of strength for me just because he's always here. So, you know, I have personal care attendants. If somebody's sick, Jeff's still here. If I need a ride somewhere that's, you know, in another city, he's here. He'll give me a ride. I mean, you know, so there's a lot of extraneous things that people with disabilities have to factor into their lives that able-bodied people don't. And a lot of those are have been out of my my worrisome area because he always takes care of it. So with that said, a lot of people with disabilities have to use a lot of their energy to manage their disability. I was freed up from a lot of that because he helps me. You know, it's just like, hmm. it's like been there and he's, I know he's always going to be there. And it's just been a great source of strength for me. And besides that, he makes me laugh every day. So that's important. <laughs> I think you've both got a great sense of humor. And I, in, in a moment, I want to begin talking about your book, which I just completed. And while I've known you for many years, I, I found it to be an amazing read and super eye-opening. But one thing that stood out to me is early on, the doctors that were advising you went so far as to suggest that maybe you and Jeff not even get married. 
right? Uh, because they predicted a short life expectancy that that blew me away. And I'm I've always had a great appreciation for Jeff, but as a husband and a partner, wow, it just helped me understand him at a whole new level. Oh yeah, they did not want us. My family didn't want us to get married. His family, well, his dad and my it was my his, my mom and his dad knew that we had what to what to talk to stay together. But his mom said, oh, my son isn't going to be able to do that. And my brother said, said, you know, if you marry her and then it doesn't work out and you guys get a divorce like in two years, it's going to be worse. Well, you know, come on, let's go into with a negative attitude. I don't think so. So we told him, but Jeff asked the right questions there. He said, we're not married yet. How, what's the stats for people that get married after the accident? Well, you know, there's lots of people that get married to people that, you know, they meet at the hospital or whatever, they're a nurse. And I'm sure that those people know what they're getting into, and so did we. And you just do what you got to do. I was thinking about this earlier because when you were asking me the questions about today, and it's just the word, the best word is perseverance. You just persevere. Mm. You do whatever it takes. Keep your eye on the ball and do whatever it takes, no matter what obstacles are in front of you, to get the job done. I love that, particularly as it pertains to marriage. But in your case, and you describe this extensively in the book, your attendance and Jeff provide you care constantly. Right. Um, really, you're not alone at all in your life, are you? <laughs> No, boy, do I wish I could just go to the store alone. I would give anything just to go to the mall <laughs> by myself. And I, you know, I was 27 years old when I was injured. I was independent. Mm -hmm. I lived by myself. I preferred it. I went places by myself all the time. And so for all of a sudden, having to depend on everybody for everything was not fun. Yet somehow you you didn't you know you didn't land in a a, a pity party or a, a sense of um, self defeat. You decided to get your masters and go work at a nonprofit. Found another nonprofit. We haven't got into it yet, but I'm thrilled at the amount of awards and attention so rightfully deserved that you've gotten over the years. To what do you credit your ability to do all this? Uh stubborn. You can't tell me what to do. You know, there, that goes a long way. Um, knowing the right thing to do and, and making sure that I took that path. And just, I have a stick to itiveness that you need to forge ahead and keep going. I also, you know, it's, it's been sort of like a roller coaster, though. I think when early on, I was more in tune with the fact that I was disabled. And then in later years, I thought, okay, enough again. Aren't they going to come up with some kind of treatment? And they never have over all these years. Yeah. And, you know, you just do what you have to do. And I'm so glad that I'm still alive. I know I have a seven-year-old grandson yeah. who's just the light of my life. And so I'm just glad, you know, he goes, look, Graham. You know, it just makes everything worth it just a combination of those qualities and being, you know, having a pretty even temperament 
being, you know, able to roll with the punches and knowing that I could control my attitude. That that was huge mm. in my own attitude. You've written um, a fantastic book called What I Can Do. Tell tell us what caused you to write it and, and uh, what was the process like? So last year was 20 years of so was Kids Food Basket, uh, the program where we had named it Kids Food Basket and got our 501c3 nonprofit status. And we celebrated 20 years. It's to that end, we I was reunited with Mary Ann Prezeshenko, the principal who caught the little girl digging through the trash. And we, they did a documentary about how Kids Food Basket started. And it, it was really a good piece. So I'm spending time with Mary Ann, and she told me that she thought I should write a book. And I said, I don't think so. It sounds like a lot of damn work to me, Mary Ann. Forget it. And she said, no, 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 no. I've got a ghostwriter. She'll help you with the, you know, the stuff and blah, 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 blah. And I'm going, yeah, I don't know. And she worked on me, worked on me. And the tipping point was, though, that she um, told me that she knew three people during the pandemic that committed suicide. And she said they lost hope. And there's a lot of hopelessness out there. And she said, you know, yours is a story of hope. And she said, you know, if mm -hmm. you will tell your story, I'm sure it will inspire people and people need to be encouraged these days. So I started thinking about it and I thought, you know, that's true. If anybody reads my book and they say, well, you know, if she ain't can do that, then I certainly can do whatever it is. Then I've done my job. So, and it was tough going back there and visiting all the emotions and feelings that I had when I was initially injured. And I had a lot of time to think when I was on that road arrest bed. And I did know that I was not going to let my disability define me. I was not going to let my disability deter me. And that I was not going to be a complainer. Those are the three things that I made a determination were not going to happen. But while you were in that bed, you made those determinations. I, right. Just knowing, having read the book, but also hearing what you just said about your parents, there there must be something there in terms of how you were raised that caused you to decide that yeah you weren't gonna you weren't gonna roll over and yeah. just yeah. not be a contributing member anymore. Yeah, right, right. And you know, people always say to me, "Oh, it's so wonderful that you've done all this stuff," and I said. You know, it really would have been a sin if I didn't do it. I said, because I had the ability, I had the skills, and I obviously had enough people. I was always so, um, so pleased and really flattered by how many people, um, volunteers followed me from God's Kitchen to Kids Food Basket. So many volunteers. Mm -hmm. And that really was flattering because they, knew that I knew how to listen to what they were saying and then try to implement it and make, you know, the program the best we could. Having been involved with Kids Food Basket, I know some of our listeners might not, but it is an incredibly volunteer-centric organization in that there's huge amounts of food being either donated or, or gotten from a food bank. And then people are kind of 
disaggregating it, repackaging in these brown paper bags. And as you mentioned, 10,000. Uh, I, I know, and I don't say this flippantly, but there are times when I see the news, when I have to remind myself that there's enough people just here in West Michigan, they get together to do that every day that aren't being featured alongside the horrible things going on. Just a reminder of how amazing um, people can be, but you do have a unique ability to rally volunteers. I know because that's how I met you. I remember exactly the day too, Brian, meeting you and you were doing the thing from Steelcase for the, the, um, why, what do they call that? Oh, like a United Way Day of Caring or something like that. United Way Day of Caring. There it is. And I met you and I thought, oh yeah, we need to get this guy on board. (laughs) I think you've done that with thousands of people, and it's 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 Look, difficult I, to say no to you, but I don't think more people want to. Well, a lot of people say no to me all the time and don't return phone calls and everything. But I like to frame it as that I'm giving people an opportunity to give back. Right? I'm giving yeah. a lot of people say, gee, if I could do this or I could do that, I'm like, okay. You know, we need help. We always need help. So we like to frame it. We're giving them an opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I know that you'll be uncomfortable with this, but you've thankfully been on the receiving end of some pretty amazing awards, including the Presidential Citizen Medal. And if I remember right, the previous recipient was Colin Powell. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about... uh, The Medal of Freedom, and that's the one he probably got. And then there's the Presidential Citizen medal that I got. And there were 13 people. That makes more sense. Yeah. Yes. In, the two, in 2010, they called from the White House. Jeff answered the phone. It's like, whoa, what does the White House want here? And the guy told me that Bridget had nominated me and that there were 6,000 people. And they narrowed it down to 400. And then they narrowed it down to 40. And that I was one of the 40. And that it was President Obama, and that he was going to decide within the next couple of months, and that the award ceremony was in Washington, D.C., on his birthday that August. And so, you know, the guy would call me every couple of weeks or something and, you know, ask me some questions or they would do further interviews. And one, one of the questions that they asked me, guy, guy goes, so do you think you've ever done anything in the past that might embarrass the president? And I started thinking about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. You better take me off that list. I don't want to embarrass every. You know, I can't remember everything I did. It was, you know, some of those years are pretty foggy back there. And so um, the guy goes, no, I think you're going to get it. I'm rooting for you. I'm not taking your name off there. I said, okay. But yeah, it was amazing to go to the White House. I mean, you can just smell the history. And it was just fabulous meeting the other people and, you know, doing all kinds of stuff around the country. It was amazing. Yeah. And the other one that I wore that I received is, there were a couple of them, but it was um, L'Oreal Women of Worth. And I always say, you know, I was nominated a year that I didn't get it. And they sent me a dear loser award or a letter, but they sent me a bag of makeup with it. Then good, leave me on that list. Yeah. So I didn't get that award for a couple of years. Then I did get it. 
And so when I then I when I won the award, then they gave ten thousand dollars to kids' food baskets. So that's good. But you know, there's been a lot of awards. One of my other favorites is um, the George Romney Lifetime Achievement Award. I was like 50 years old, and they, it's one of those ones that they get you to come there. And I get there, and then they're going to tell who won. So there were like four mm-hmm. or five people in my category. So it's me and like three or four 70-year-old white guys. And I go, how the hell I get in your, your category? I'm not old. You know, I was 50 years old. And the one guy said, because Jeff was with me, he goes, I'm not sure you're done with him over there, but if you're interested, my name's Frank. I live in Grand Haven. <laughs> oh, my God. The guy's pretty funny. So, my oh, too, when I got the, uh, uh, the um, Women of Worth, within about probably 10 minutes, I met Julianne Moore. Boy, was she nice. Diane Keaton, mm. Hoda Copy, oh. Eva Ga- Eva Longoria, Blake Light, is it Lively? Yeah. Um, Lively, yeah. Andy McDowell, Stephanie March. There's like 10 of them. And Diane Keaton says to me, I just met your husband. You did better than in that department than I did because she's never been married. <laughs> and I said, yeah, he's quite a character. And she said, yeah, and easy on the eyes. So I tell Jeff, she said that. He goes, she didn't say that. I go, yeah, she didn't. I sure as I wouldn't tell you that if she didn't say that. But Diane Keaton, <laughs> yeah, it was fun meeting all those people. That's amazing. But all I care That about, is so cool. You know, all I care about really is awareness about childhood hunger. Those awards are all nice and they're great, but. Uh, and then 50 Most Influential Women in West Michigan a couple of times. And I didn't even know I was influential. Mm-hmm. I'm find something to influence now. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit more about childhood hunger. Because um, I know we talked about it briefly, but how are we doing as a society in terms of tackling this? I know Kids Food Basket has been widely recognized as one of the most innovative models to address it. But at times it feels like the problem's a bit overwhelming, doesn't it? I know. It just seems like, you know, when we were, when it's probably the years that you were on the board there, Ryan, it's, you know, we think we're making gains. And then there's no way in my wildest dreams in 2002 that I never, that I ever would think we were feeding 10,000 kids and that we're not feeding all the kids that need help. And then with the pandemic and with recessions and it, it, yeah, the need is great. And then um, I was so proud of the, the staff at KFB because during the pandemic, if you call 211 down United Way, they usually could refer you to mm-hmm. a pantry, but the pantries are all closed. So they didn't have anywhere to refer, mm-hmm. refer people. And somebody on the staff, figured that out within like 24 hours, gave our number. So if people are really destitute and they're calling that number, then somebody from our staff would back up a bunch of food and take it over to them. So that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So we, I, I, I think we're doing a, a good job. 
as far as feeding as many kids we do. And I love the components with the, you know, eating healthy and, you know, growing stuff and the garden part of that where kids can come and plant stuff and understand better about where their fruits and vegetables come from. And working with the schools to make sure that we're feeding food to the kids that they like. We do all kinds of interaction like that. Yeah, that that's how I've observed that the organization has grown since I've been involved. Now, one of my my kids is on the youth advisory board, so I hear about it more. But beyond simply providing a meal every school day, which is challenging enough, Kids Food Basket has done such an amazing job, you know, creating an urban farm, in educating and in focusing on the effects of addressing hunger among young people. I remember, I don't remember actually, don't remember who told me this, but it was so. So obvious once I heard it that if you're malnourished or you're not getting the proper nutrition in those years when you're learning to write, read, and do the basics, it's going to have systemic long-term effects in your ability okay. to learn. You know, the whole the whole you learn to read and then you read to learn phenomena. And so I know the problem can be overwhelming, but the fact that 10,000 kids are getting the nutrition they need every day also will have seismic ripple effects in all the ways that they can positively impact our world. Exactly. And it's very powerful when you're volunteering there and you're either, you know, like one of my personal care attendants volunteered last week. I said, what'd you, what'd you do? And she said, I cut up cucumbers for two hours. Well, the, you know, the sack supper and has a vegetable in it every day. So that's wonderful. But it's very powerful when you're packing those sacks. And you know that a child wouldn't eat an evening meal if you didn't do that. I mean, that's very powerful stuff. And there's mm-hmm. lots of wonderful ways that people can get involved. You know, what it's, you know, from coloring bags to going to Kids Food Basket or doing a, uh, some kind of a granola bar drive. So there's lots of ways mm-hmm. to get involved. I- no, we're getting a little bit long on time, and I, I promise to keep this short. But for the sake of our listeners, go get Mary Kay's book, What I Can Do. It is, uh, I will just tell you as a reader, I cried a bit. I laughed a lot. But to your point, it inspired me. And so I think you nailed it, Mary Kay. So I, I want to tell you that I have a website, www.marykayhood.com. And if you go there, you'll go to the website, and it says buy a book. That's That way you get it through the publisher, and more of the proceeds go to Kids Food Basket. But if you, have, if you want to go on Amazon, do me a favor. If you buy from Amazon and you like the story, go on there and do a review for us. Give positive reviews so that the numbers go up there, and then they'll... It'd be like an Amazon pick. So MaryKayHoodHood.com, and you can get a link there to buy it directly from the publisher. Greater proceeds go to Kids Food Basket. Or if you get it on Amazon, then the deal is you got to leave a review um, because you'll be verified. Help get more attention for the book. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, I can't possibly express how thankful I am to you. You've transformed our, our community, and you've been such a positive impact in my own life. So. Thank you for spending the time. We appreciate it. Bye, Ryan. I hope I see you soon. 